No man can tell you how to find the fleece. Is it not time you ask the gods? They will not answer those who believe in them. Why should they answer one who doesn't? The gods are best served by those who want their help least. Hello once again and welcome to another episode of the Intermillennium Media Project Podcast. My name is Matthew Porter. And I'm Ian Porter. And it's June once again. Aha! I know what that means. June on the IMMP is a time for adventure, a time for excitement, a time for, for travels to unknown lands. Time for different frame rates for good and awesomeness. <laughs> yes, indeed. Time for lots of stop motion because June, in honor of his birthday, June is Ray Harryhausen month. Yay! Now, we've had Ray Harryhausen month every June for the past few years. I, um, this, I think, is the last Ray Harryhausen month. No! Because we're running out. That can't be! I'm sorry to say that, uh, you know, we've had the Flying Saucer movies, we've had the the old Sea Monster and Dinosaur movies. Last year, we had the Sinbad movies. What are we going to do with our green screens if it is not Ray Harryhausen month? <laughs> Strong Bad even told us in, the, in an episode that one of the only uses for green screens is fighting claymation skeletons. We'll have to give that some thought over the next year. <laughs> exactly. What to do with our June and our green screen. Yes. But in the meantime, fortunately, we still do have some Ray Harryhausen movies to talk about. But what do you do, though, when you've already done a variety of stories and now you've got to kind of like make a culmination, I guess, where you put all of the grand characters of these sort of things together? You go back to some of the best adventure stories that uh, the ancient world had to offer. Absolutely. It's time for the Greek version of the Avengers. <laughs> Very well put. Thank you. We are talking about the 1963 feature, Jason and the Argonauts. Ooh. I was excited. I This is one of those, like, I'm pretty sure I'd heard of it. But it's also so brilliantly generic, I wasn't absolutely sure. And now that I've seen it, I'm pretty sure I've seen it. But it was also... So brilliantly generic, I'm not sure if I did. I think it's one of those things that is, it seems generic because it influenced so much that came after. Absolutely. And it also was influenced by so much that came before. And Ray Harryhausen was, was kind of open about being influenced by some early movies like, uh, like King Kong. But, yeah, it, it does seem like... You've seen all of its parts before, because you probably have, even if it's been in movies made since then. Yeah, it's, it is brilliantly timeless for a timeless story in that sense. And this is, a, we think of it as a Ray Harryhausen movie. It's, we're celebrating Ray Harryhausen month. But like a lot of the movies we've talked about, it was directed by someone else. This was directed by Don Chaffee, but Ray Harryhausen supervised all of the uh, the effects so there's lots of cool stop motion and composite work oh yeah interestingly enough we might have actually seen some of don chaffney's work elsewhere he is one of the directors who directed numerous episodes of british television including episodes of the prisoner and the avengers 
Well, we know we've seen uh, all of the prisoner. I bet we've seen some of his uh, work in the uh, the Avengers as well. I bet so. So, hey, yeah. <sighs> How do you even start with this film, though? Well, there are two things that this film does with, with the Greek mythological stories. It takes the rough outline of Jason and the Argonauts and the Golden Fleece. Yeah. And it adds in whatever characters it feels like and changes their stories, changes their fates. And I'm fine with that because that's kind of how storytelling works. Oh, yeah. And and they had fun just putting all these in. Now, there are some who, you know, they, they were originally part of the, the story of Jason and the Argonauts, but what happens to them on the trip is very different. There are others who, uh, you know, are brought in just because they would be, uh, they, they, they serve this story for Hollywood. One of the wonderful things in terms of storytelling about Jason and the Argonauts, even in the original mythos, is that it is designed to be the grand culmination of a bunch of other characters who've had their stories. Right. Jason is this grand kind of leader among leaders, and his crew is built upon numerous, it's that guy from this other story. Because he's got, you know, Hercules, he's got, I believe in some versions, he has um, went into the underworld, tried to get back his girlfriend, looked at the wrong time, she turned into salt. Oh, he was in there to get Eurydice, what's his name? Yeah. Orpheus, not Orpheus. Orpheus, yes. Orpheus. Sometimes Orpheus is there, like, playing the bard character in this team. (laughs) In some ways, Jason the Argonauts succeeds in being a D&D campaign you got in the book. And whoever is on the boat is whoever your party is at the table in the best of ways. And I think you were right in comparing it to the Avengers. It was the most ambitious crossover event ever conceived. Oh, yeah. In ancient Greek storytelling. Yeah. Who's that cool guy who's really strong? He was in the other thing. Yeah. Bring him in, too. We'll we'll find something for him to do. What if all of the greatest guys got onto a talking boat and had our version of a road trip? (laughs) Yeah. Jason the Argonauts. But not to jump ahead too much to that, because I, I like the way this starts out, because it's, of course, it starts out with a war and a prophecy. As things not, do. Not necessarily in that order. But you've got uh, Pelias, who's trying to kill the king of Thessaly and take over Thessaly. And as he's planning to do so, he goes to the, the soothsayer, who gives him this terrific kind of good news, bad news prophecy starts out with you will be victorious and well i guess i don't need this sword then (laughs) i love that but the king you're gonna kill has kids and some of them are gonna come back and kill you well i guess i need this sword after all (laughs) i love that moment where it's like like the uh, nope never mind (laughs) i think when we were watching it you called it the the control z yeah Yeah. (laughs) you know drop sword no don't drop sword yep I just am imagining the little Minecraft pickup sound. As I see, it's like, <laughs> drops the sword, then walks back over. <laughs> well, I've been playing Breath of the Wild, so now I'm just thinking, you're carrying too many melee weapons. <laughs> oh, goodness, Jason. Jason was just out there finding Koroks. <laughs> <laughs> and we see, you know, a little bit of that battle against Thessaly. Mostly we see it going very badly for Thessaly. Yeah, this is this is not good times at Thessaly. <laughs> and we see the two the two princesses, 
the baby princess and the young princess uh, going into the temple of Hera and seeking protection, which they don't really get. No, because well, they actually do because they are approved for protection. And if anything happens to you, the, the, the gods will be on your side. And then something happens to them. And that's the problem. It's like ancient Greek protection is much more of an insurance policy that pays out after you've done something <laughs> than magical shielding. That's a good point. We didn't say nothing bad would happen to you. We just said that whoever did it wouldn't get away with, with it. it. <laughs> exactly. And uh, yeah, if, if your response to uh, your attempted hostile takeover will be eventually thwarted by their, uh, by their descendants is to... Kill a child? Not a good... No, not bad? Yeah. Bad way to do that. They established pretty well early on, this is someone we're allowed to hate. Yeah. This is the, this is the anti... The opposite of the save the cat moment, in that sense. And Hera gives him uh, more prophecy. Yeah. Because Hera, or, or... Is that her who appears and disappears magically in the temple after he kills the princesses? It's very vague. I think it's supposed to be, but... Yeah, yeah. it's clearly an avatar of, of Hera in some way. I think it's... I'm trying to remember if it's the same actor. But there's this prophecy that mm -hmm. she gives that a man with one sandal, who is Jason, the son of King Aristo, who escaped, will come back. Now, that's a great prophecy to give this guy, because now he's going to spend the rest of his life looking at people's feet. Yeah. It, it's like, you're not allowed to hold your head high about being this, this wonderful champion, because you're going to be watching the ground <laughs> for all of this. You know, you, one prophecy made you do this. How about a good dose of paranoia? Because you're going to get what's coming to you. <laughs> or maybe he could just have people stationed at every possible entrance to his domain, making sure that everybody gets free shoes. Yeah? Nobody's allowed to come in unless you take these shoes and put them on. No shirt, no shoes. Here, take some, please. Oh, goodness, please, <laughs> take these. <laughs> but, as, as prophecies tend to do, is a tricky thing, and they appear in ways you don't expect, because later, 20 years later, our bad king, Pelias, falls off his horse into a river? Yeah, well, falls off his horse because Hera shows up to scare his horse, making sure that he falls in. Yeah. Because she really wants to look after Jason because she has this vendetta against Elias. Yeah, it's been 20 years. It's time to do the thing. Yeet you off the horse into the ocean <laughs> or the water or the river. And there's this young man there who rushes to save this guy who fell into the river. And, of course, it's Jason, heroic Jason, who's going to do the good deed. And during... The, the process of saving Pelias from the river. He loses a sandal. Oh, hey! And, and there's kind of a wonderful moment of the, like, thank you for saving me. Ah, oh, yeah, well, too bad I lost a sandal, but glad I could help you. Yo, what? It's <laughs> like, he goes from grateful to absolutely mortified in a perfect slide motion. But Pelias plays it pretty cool, though. Oh, he is, he's... Because he yeah. said, oh, come with me, let me show you some hospitality to uh, show my, my appreciation for your saving me from the river. And gets Jason to tell him this story about the fact that, without revealing who he, without Pelias revealing who he is, Jason talks about the fact that I'm the son of King Aristo, and I've come to kill the, the usurper, Pelias. But you know, 
it's not enough for me just to kill Polias, although I will do that. I'm also, once I've done that, I'm going to need a way to ensure the prosperity of my kingdom and give people hope. And I've heard this story about this magical thing called the Golden Fleece. So I'm also going to go get that. And Polias very coolly says, well, if you'll take my advice, you should go get the Golden Fleece first before you kill this Polias guy. Because then you'll be all set once you take over the kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a very clever way to do it. Right. And, and it's like, and Jason, Jason's just like, you know what? That's a good idea. <laughs> he just successfully took kill me and moved it down farther on uh, Jason's to-do it's list. Why is it they're like, well, I've heard of the Golden Fleece too. This is going to be an absolute mess. He's going to die. <laughs> All I gotta do is let the trip kill him, and then I don't have to worry. And if by some chance the trip does not, uh, I'm gonna send my son with him, and my son will make sure that uh, that he doesn't survive. There is one imposter among us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Who has been ejected from the Argo. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> so he's got this terrific ship. Jason has this great ship built. The Argo, named after Argus, the shipbuilder who created it. Because the Golden Fleece is supposed to be at the absolute end of the world. Beyond any place anybody has sailed and survived. But he's got a ship to do it. Now he just needs a crew to do it with. It's one of those things in Greek mythology where you're like, how does anyone know about the Golden Fleece if no one has been able to get there and come back? How do you know? <laughs> but Jason does have a little bit of encouragement here as well, not just Polias saying, yeah, you go do that deadly thing first. He, he has this conversation with this old guy who turns out to be the god Hermes. Yeah. And he is taken to Olympus, where we've already seen Hera and Zeus kind of playfully rival, playfully bickering in their rivalry about who's more important and who is worshipped more. And, and Hera is uh, 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 taken with this Jason guy, and she wants to help him. And they portray it as them playing this game where all of Greece and the Mediterranean is, is a map. And they've got pieces on the board for Jason and for the Argo and for everybody else involved. Yeah, there's something very, very much board game night on Olympus going on up here. <laughs> and they've got a full like gaming table set up. The thing's a whole like water projection <laughs> with gesture control set up. It's like... Oh, yeah, I could see this. And instead of dice, they've got human free will. Exactly. They can set people up in different positions, and they can make sure that certain conflicts and encounters happen. But what actually comes out of any one of those encounters is up to the free will of the people. I kind of like that balance that they're showing. The gods are powerful, but they don't direct every minute detail of people's lives. Absolutely. And they're having a lot of fun here with the fact that since pieces of our people on the board and things, they have a lot of fun with green screen work because being brought to Olympus doesn't mean he gets to walk into the room. It means his little game piece becomes him for a moment. And there are giant people <laughs> staring down at him and kind of giving him a hard time as he stands on the board they're playing. So one does not simply walk into Olympus? <laughs> Yes. But that's, that is a cool scene, because he gets to 
talk with with Zeus. Essentially, kind of he we we understand from his conversation with Hermes, he doesn't really believe in the gods. And yeah. Hermes takes the kind of well, you don't believe in them, but they believe in you. And stand here for a moment, and you will believe. And that's when he gets transported to uh, Olympus. But he's he's even giving Zeus some sass when he's up there. Oh yeah, and in some ways, there's this brilliant like, do you know who I am? Well, yeah, but that don't mean nothing. <laughs> oh, you know what? I should be angry, but I like you <laughs> just enough. And of course, that just makes him even better in Hera's eyes. Oh yeah. So she promises to help him, but. Because of this game that she's playing with Zeus, they, she and Zeus agree to this limit earlier on, where she's only allowed to help him five times when he calls upon her. So It's, it's the kind of thing where, when I was running you know, tabletop RPGs, I always felt like it was kind of cheap to put these artificial game-balancing limits on magic powers and things, but here it is, you know, you've got five slots of, of Hera divine intervention. Use them wisely. Mm-hmm. But how will you call upon these? How about a giant figurine of her on the back of your ship? <laughs> That's a cool bit. And there's even this conversation with uh, with Argus about the fact that he just, for some reason, was inspired to put the figurehead in the back, looking out over the deck. Yeah, which is kind of odd, but kind of cool. It's an interesting take on the Argo. And Jason can talk to Hera through this figurehead, and when he does, it animates, and we see its eyes move, and she answers him. I get the impression nobody else sees that from this figurehead. But it is some really cool and interesting puppet work. I like that. We've talked before about how certain kinds of special effects are very effective because they are not supernaturalistic. They look a little bit unreal, and that's absolutely appropriate when you're dealing with the inter- intervention of gods from Olympus or magical beings or things. The, f- the fact that they don't move quite the way people do is, is part of what makes it work. Yeah, it's using what, uh, what, it's using what some would look at as a, as a limitation of cinema to create the wonder that cinema can have. Right. And that is one of those excellent moments. And he's got this cool ship with this cool figurehead in the back. Yeah. And is that like the Suicide Doors version of figureheads? It's the same thing, but it's backwards. Kind of. And actually, that kind of works because this is a giant pentaconter, which is kind of the ancient Greek version of a, of a sports car, of a sailing boat. <laughs> this is, you know, the 50 guys on the fastest ship we have. We can max this thing's top speed. And I've got the wild, cool back fin here. It's like... <laughs> I'm starting to think of this now as uh, as a Fast and Furious spinoff, or vice versa. <laughs> it kind of is. This is you know, this is about gathering a family for a wild heist in your, with a, a really tricked out vehicle. I live my life a thousand leagues at a time. <laughs> uh, he's, he's got this cool ship, but he needs a crew. Yeah, and he's Jason is kind of a showman, kind of a clever guy. He's got an idea of how to. Uh, how to get a crew. It's not just, well, I'm going to hire people to be my crew. It's only certain people get to be the crew of the Argo. Exactly. If you think you're good enough, come join the games and the champions of these games get to be the guys who work for me. That's right. It's time for Greco-Roman Ninja Warrior. <laughs> 
<laughs> he kind of is. He's like, yes. come, come do these challenges and, and get a job opportunity by doing so. But it calls upon the best of the best. So we get, there's, there's wrestling and archery and all of these terrific games and the, the mightiest champions who win these games wind up crewing the Argo. And a late addition, a late entry, he's a, a fan favorite, Hercules. Hercules. Comes out of retirement to participate in these games and go along with Jason. Yeah. This, it's always interesting to see this interpretation because it's like, Older Hercules who has gone through his stuff and is like he's no he's not at the top of his game, but being partway down his game is still the average man or greater. <laughs> and he is he's kind of this odd jovial figure of badassness. It's the best <laughs> way I can describe it. It's like, yeah. oh yeah, I could punch a man through that rock. I don't have any reason to. You're all my friends, but I could. <laughs> exactly. It's Nigel Green playing uh, playing Hercules, and he is this, I have nothing to fear and nothing to gain, so I'm just here for a good time, and what's a better time than a, an adventure nobody's ever taken before? Oh, yeah. Uh, Jason, by the way, is played by Todd Armstrong, but his dialogue is all dubbed. It is? A guy named Tim Turner, who was also a... Uh, a radio and, and TV and movie guy. I don't know about TV, a radio and movie guy uh, with a great voice, dubbed. He was uncredited, but he dubbed the role of Jason that was otherwise played by Todd Armstrong. Why did they have to dub him? I don't know. I don't know if I've ever heard Todd Armstrong's voice, and maybe that would answer it for us. Does this mean people can literally debate whether or not they prefer Jason the Argonauts 1963 subbed or dubbed? <laughs> Well, if they needed subtitles for Todd Armstrong's performance, then we know why they had <laughs> the other guy dub. But Nigel Green as Hercules, probably my favorite casting in this thing. Oh, yeah. And we also get Hercules' buddy. Just like in the original stories, we've got Hylas. We do. Who, you know, he doesn't show up in quite the same way that he does in uh, most of the, the mythological tellings. But he shows up wanting to to join the crew of the Argo, and he's a little guy, but he says, well, I may be a little guy, but if I beat Hercules at something in your games, you've got to let me on, right? And Hercules, hey, he's up for a game anytime. Yeah, come on, you can't do that, I know. Watch me. And he just discuses the thing all the way over there. Yeah, they're going to hit an island offshore with a discus. And, he, and Hercules gets it there in one shot, and I, I love that moment. Hylas is just, you know, checks the angle, looks at how far, and skips the discus across the water. And it's the, it's hearing it clink, and Hercules just going, oh, yeah, that is awesome, awesome. dude. <laughs> That's one of those brilliant moments that I think gets lost in a lot of things. Greek heroes and Greek heroic characters weren't always the perfect paragons of, like, truth and justice they weren't comic book characters in that sense but they were men of great ability and commonly the trickster character oh yeah being clever was as if not more important to being a greek hero as being strong if, if you were quick with your words and you could avoid needing to be quick with your sword you're amazing 
The sword is the sword as your last resort, but being good enough that you can make it through last resort if you have to is kind of the way this goes. And it shows a lot of that in this movie. This is one of those first fine examples of a challenge. It's a home. It's a challenge they set themselves in that sense. But a lot of challenges are dealt with by thinking your way through and then being strong enough to do the thing you thought of. And this is an example of that. Yeah, for what seems like a swashbuckling action-adventure movie. And there is, are plenty of swashes buckled and plenty of adventures taken action on. There is a lot of puzzling in this uh, movie. It's a puzzle-driven story. They're confronted with something. There's got to be one way to deal with this. What is that one way? And somebody is smart enough to figure it out, be it Hylas or Jason or somebody. Exactly. And after this, Hercules and Hylas are fast friends. Oh, yeah. How do you make a drinking buddy succeed in a challenge? Is it Hercules? Definitely drinking buddy. So they start off, and they're sailing, I gather, farther than anybody has sailed before, and running out of food and water. Yeah, which is one of those instances where it's like, you didn't think this through? Oh, I guess there's only so much you can do to prepare if you have no idea how far you're going to have to go. Yeah. And nobody's ever been where you're going to. So I guess we've got to keep going. And and because we're used to being able to find islands and get things, we're going to hope we can find an island and get things. (laughs) That's kind of the way our ship travel works. Yeah. I forget the numbers, but there's one point where it's something like the, the, the last time we saw land was 20 days ago. We have 12 days worth of food left and water left. Let's go back and like, have, excuse me, have you done the math? Jason seems to be pointing out. Yeah. Going back with 20 days with 12 days worth of water, not good. So he, uh, he burns one of his spell slots with Hera. Yeah. Asks her, hey, my, my sailors are grumbling and starving and, and dying of thirst. What do I do? And she says, Keep going, and you're going to meet this... You're going to get to this island. Yeah. In, 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 in 90,000 kiloyards, you take a, <laughs> take a left. It's like you know, pulling up the Hera GPS for a moment just to find the nearest gas station. And she tells him the rules. She tells, tells him the, the rules. rules. You can go there, you can take provisions, take food and water, and absolutely nothing else. And Jason tells everybody on the ship... Once they get there, they, they're delighted. They find this island that seems to be rich in food and water. And uh, he tells them, guys, there is a rule. You take food and water and nothing, nothing else. else. Do you got it? Okay. You can Fine. Al- and you can almost smash cut to yes. the guys take something else. Yeah. The, the sitcom version of this <laughs> has a smash cut. To uh, just the always sunny in Philadelphia, yeah. white text, right. black screen. The guys take something else. And Hercules walking back to the ship with this giant golden brooch pen that he uh, wants to use as a javelin. Oh, yeah, because <laughs> it turns out this is like where the gods store a bunch of their treasure. Yeah, and this is where Hephaestus had his forge and built these statues of the gods. And there's this statue of Talus, the base of which, and the statues are giant, the base of which is a giant treasure house. And Hercules and, and Hylas go in to check it out. And Hercules says, oh, yoink, this looks cool. I love how also everybody sees what's going, like Hercules coming with this thing and like getting mad at him. It's like, no, put it back. Don't do this. Don't break the rule. 
And I, I think you'll appreciate what went through my head when I saw that moment. The hairpin is for research. <laughs> it's like, this is a bad idea to have this. Don't bring it. Yeah, maybe we just leave that there like we were told, Hercules, but it's too late. No. The giant statue is not just a giant statue, because it's a Harryhausen creature. <laughs> So we get this giant statue of Talus standing up and walking around and taking revenge on the people who stole the treasure. Oh yeah, it's and this does not go well for any of the Argonauts. No giant angry bronze guy. Yeah, does, no, it does not go well. No, he can pick up the ship. He can throw the ship. He can stomp on people. <laughs> this goes bad. It does. And so, after getting them, themselves thoroughly kicked by very large bronze feet, Jason has to burn a second uh, help slot to figure out how to defeat him, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he, uh, he, they're, they're all foundering in the, the sea, and he finds the figurehead of Hera and asks it, Help, what do we do? What do we do? It's like, well, did you try stabbing him in the obvious large weak point? Yeah. On his ankle? <laughs> Look to his ankles. It's like... Or massive damage. Yeah. <laughs> Battles that took place in actual ancient Greece. Attacked the giant statue of Talus in its weak point for massive damage. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's this, there's this like giant bolt in his yeah, foot. Yeah, like, it's like a drain plug and he pulls out <laughs> the plug... And out comes all the ichor that's animating Talus. I will say that the 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 slowdown of the like, it's the classic thing. The giant creature is about to do the smashy smash smash, but it dr runs out of power right as it ends <laughs> and kind of stops where it's swinging. Is brilliant. It again, it looks cool because it's a little bit unnatural. Yeah, it's one of those things where like. Physics says if you had momentum, it wouldn't do that, but I love that you make it do that every time. <laughs> and I guess it's also him, like, stepping back. Talos, I don't feel so good. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I guess had, it would drain from his top first, so that'd give him quite the headache. I guess, yeah. Yeah. And so he eventually topples. Uh, bad, uh, bad positioning, though, for Hylus. Yeah. Because Hylus gets squished by the falling Talos. Yeah, that's... Uh, Hercules should know better from his stories. Yeah. Yeah, this... No. And and Hercules, he doesn't want to leave because he... They 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 saw Hylas get squished, but they can't get to Hylas's body, and Hercules won't abandon his friend without confirmation that he's actually dead. So, go on without me. In what's left of your ship. <laughs> Yes. And that leads Jason to call on Hera once again. Yeah, there's a like, third one. My best guy is going to stay here unless we can, like, prove to him that his friend is dead. Can you tell us what happened to Hylas? And she says, oh, you mean the guy who was squished to death with the giant statue? He was squished to death. Take my word for it. Yeah, it's like... And that's good enough for Hercules. Yeah. He didn't really need to have burned one of those in some ways, but he also story-wise had to. But yeah, and, uh, this, yeah. This, this road trip, this side trip has, has wasted three of them. Right. And Hera says, A, Hylas is dead, and B, Hercules, Zeus has other plans for you. Oh, you stop. There's more coming. 
And she also says, you've got to find Phineas. He's going to have more information for you. So they seek out Phineas, who is like trying to eat lunch in the middle of an ancient broken temple and getting attacked by harpies on a regular basis. Yeah, he misused the gift of prophecy given to him by Zeus, and his punishment is to have been blinded and to be tormented by harpies on this island where he's imprisoned. That's kind of harsh. I don't know what he did with this prophecy. I gotta say, if you succeed at misusing the gift of prophecy, you kind of saw the fact that you were going to misuse it coming. (laughs) So I get it. But also (laughs) how? I guess, you know, if you have to choose to use the gift of prophecy, like, and I'm pretty sure Zeus isn't going to like this, but is it? Maybe I should look ahead to see what's going to happen. No, it'll be fine. Exactly. It's like, shouldn't this problem fix itself? (laughs) I was just fascinated by that. It's like, "Mm." And the harpies, though, another great example of uh, of stop-motion animation. In this case, the fact that they're flying must have made that so much more complicated. Yeah, this is... And they're so creepy. I love how creepy creepy those harpies are. They're different colors, and they're... They're kind of skeletal, and they're bird-like, and they're, ooh, they're just creepy. I love it. They're actually, they remind me less of, like, crows, and more of, like, if you've ever seen a video of an angry parrot, they've got <laughs> some brighter colors, and they've got a whole lot of of squawking, clawing viciousness going on. It really works. <laughs> but I do love the, you like... Oh, you're the guy we need. Oh, yeah, I can help you, but I need to get rid of this problem with these harpies first. Oh, Look, it's it's another puzzle. It's another puzzle. Well, I've got an idea. <laughs> and they just use nets to capture the harpies. Yeah, they kind of turn the the structure he keeps having his lunch in into a a cage that they can flip around and capture the harpies with. Very effective. Extremely effective. And that's all it took. It, it just takes a bunch of guys and some nets to free Phineas from his torment and make him available to help you. So, you know, Phineas joins the party. And it's not long before they hit another puzzle. Ah, the cla- a classic one. They get to the Clashing Rocks. The Clashing Rocks. This is one of those interesting ones that pops up in the original, like, mythology and in a couple of different fun ways. It does, yeah. But this is an interesting solution because the clashing rocks are like a pair of giant cliffs that the moment they notice something coming through between them, slam together and squish whatever there. Yeah, this is not a metaphor for monsters that live in caves or something. No, these are cliffs smashed together. Very, very straightforward. Yeah. You ever seen that thing where someone like threads the needle with their fast moving vehicle right between two things? This is where that's from. This is the classic version of that. And there's a lot of solutions to that kind of puzzle. And this is an interesting one because it's kind of using the last guy they saved to help them. Because Phineas has, like, connections to Poseidon. Yeah, he's got this amulet that they can use to summon Triton to hold back the rocks. Oh, yeah. And and so they kind of, like try their best to get through, but they can halt one of the two walls and buy themselves enough time to squeeze through. And they know how important this is because they've watched another ship coming the other way get destroyed. Kind of implies that this is the thing that makes getting there hard. Like, the food stuff, you could have packed more. 
the dealing with the harpies thing wasn't necessary unless you'd messed up on the food thing. <laughs> or unless you needed the guy who could summon yeah. the, the god of the sea. Exactly. But the, the, the rocks and the fact that there, were, there was a boat trying to come the other way <laughs> kind of implies this is where the no one's gotten this far comes from. Well, well, there's but there's somebody who lives on the other side. Yeah. But they make their way through. And pick up a survivor from the uh, from the ship that was destroyed. Oh, yeah, I forgot that. I think they pick up a few survivors, but the key survivor is Medea. Medea, yes. Medea is the, uh, the high priestess of Hecate. Or is it Hecate? I don't know how that's pronounced. Not quite sure. I think they use both in various different moments of the movie. <laughs> So, so she's the high priestess of, of, of Hecate, and like as she's introducing herself as this, she's also saying, but don't hold that against me. I guess she's used to people thinking that this is a, a goddess who isn't uh, really a nice one. Yeah, it's kind of a, you know, my job's not the best, don't, don't, don't be mean. Jason and the Argonauts bring uh her back to her land because where she lives is the place that they're headed Mm -hmm. and she kind of guides them but they are welcomed into this big banquet by the king yes they are welcomed into colchis by king aetes but one of the other people that they i believe that they helped i think is he one of the people they saved? I think so, and they found out that uh, that Jason's plan was to take the Golden Fleece that has been ensuring the prosperity of this kingdom. Yeah. Which, you know, yeah, we kind of see Aetes not at his best, but it does kind of show that Jason was being kind of a jerk. Yeah. He came all this way just to steal the one really cool and important thing this other kingdom that had done him no harm had. There is something to be said for the fact that Pelias did something kind of bad, mean to, I mean, very bad and mean to start his kingdom. And now Jason's doing something kind of bad and mean to start his kingdom. There's yeah. a bit of a, there's a bit of a, the bad version of pay it forward going on here. <laughs> well, you do see that sometimes in these Greek stories where it's, if I'm a hero, what I do as a hero is less important if you establish that my heroism early on. Yeah, and remember how I pointed out being clever was more important than being strong or just or great? Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of one of those things where it's like, how can we show hubris and you not being perfect and getting your comeuppance if you <laughs> never do anything comeuppance worthy? So everybody is going to be wildly more flawed than you'd expect modern heroic characters to be so we get um we get aetes inviting the crew of the argo to dinner and then throwing them all into prison saying i'm going to kill you tomorrow because i know why you're here you're here to steal my stuff my golden fleece and he's not wrong he's not wrong but they don't stay in prison that long because surprise surprise medea is in love with jason Yep. And Jason has a private cell. All the rest of his men are crammed into one cell. I guess, you know, well, captain's privilege or something. I guess, theoretically, they, what they did is they imprisoned the crew in one, and they imprisoned Jason and the camera crew in another. <laughs> some of the shots we get. Because it's like, I guess there might be enough people in there. Balance them out. No. <laughs> you and your sailors and your production crew down to the last PA. Exactly. Going to be in my prisons. <laughs> 
And that leads to this chase where Jason and the guys try to get the Golden Fleece and Aetes and his men chase after them. And there's another cool fight with a cool monster, the Hydra. Yes. I mean, because, uh, because Acastus, the guy who, like, betrayed them and pre-warned, uh, uh, King Aetes, the fact that this was Jason's plan, like, tried to grab the fleece first, I guess, to protect it, or maybe just to grab it for himself, and he gets killed by the Hydra outright. But Jason is able to kind of learn from how that fight went down and then kill the Hydra himself. And Acastus, I don't know if he was just trying to keep it from Jason or if he was planning to bring it back to Polias, his father. Yeah, I'm not sure. But during the fight, Medea is shot with an arrow. Yep. And we learn that the fleece can heal her? Well, that was part of the legend, was that it can heal and it can bring prosperity. It could be... You know that, uh, that Mystery Science Theater... The uh, the day the Earth froze. Oh yeah, the Golden Fleece is the Sampo. We're it not sure what it does. Sampo. It does everything, and it's perfect and wonderful, and we all want one. Yeah, it it really is. It is it is the ultimate MacGuffin. But this does lead to what I think is one of the coolest moments. Oh, this is the the, the final fight is the quintessential Ray Harryhausen stop motion fight. If you ask me, quintessential fight. Is the uh, Aetes gathers up the teeth of the the Hydra and has this prayer to his goddess and sews the teeth on the ground in front of Jason and they turn into skeletons, skeleton warriors. Yes. Now we had a skeleton fight in a Sinbad movie Mm -hmm. and that was awesome. One of my favorite bits in the Sinbad movies. So what's better than a fight against a couple of skeletons, a fight against seven or so skeletons. And we get a lot of skeletons here. Absolutely. We get a lot of skeletons, and we get skeletons that understand battlefield tactics. They group up. They separate their targets. <laughs> they use shield formations. These are smart skeletons. And, and they look angry. They are the angriest looking I love skeletons. the way he's given expression to these bare skulls. It's like, how do you show slanted, angry eyebrows? You literally tilt the inside of the ocular cavity <laughs> to give it that effect. It's like... Oh, goodness. And the way that the skeletons move when they're fighting with their, their sword technique and everything, again, it's, it's, it's not as fluid as humans, so it looks a little unnatural, but it's a little more fluid than bones should be in moving, so it's a little unnatural, and it's just, it's wonderfully scary. That is the scene that I remember most. This is another of those movies I probably saw first either on Saturday night on Channel 9 or on the Channel 7 430 movie. Probably both. I've seen it a bunch of times. And that scene, when I was like you know, 10 or 11 years old, that made such an impression on me. It never scared me. Mm-hmm. It just made me think, wow, this is the coolest thing I have ever seen. I do love the, the transfers we have. These nice, pretty good resolution, at most times, transfers of some of these films and such. I gotta say, I bet that seeing this on an older TV must have been wonderful. That little bit of blurring, that little bit of dithering on everything must have made all of this feel even more perfectly unreal. I think it did. Where that those seams between the moments just flow. Because this is a fight where it's not just parry and block, but there's some straight up slashes and weapon changes. And moments where... 
a sword is grabbed out of one person's hand and into the hand of a skeleton, and there's a transition moment where it goes from prop to claymation. And it's brilliant. And in the, the way the fight plays out, you see the issue of how do you kill a skeleton? Yeah. You knock it over, sure, but how do you really defeat them? Yeah, there's no there's no squishy to stab with, so your options are limited, and their bladed weapons are much more effective on you than yours are on them. Yeah, you've got more parts that you can't do without than the magical skeletons do. And this this takes a good long time. I would not shorten it by a second. And it's all it's on this hilltop with ruins and rocks and obstacles. Yeah, it's, they they make it complex enough to continue to be interesting. It's not just a bunch of people squaring off against skeletons on a field. No, this is this is hop up on a thing, kick a skeleton, get slashed by a skeleton, uh, try to jump over a wall. The skeletons have to go the long way around. <laughs> There's some wonderful moments there, but um, yeah, Jason brought, had a couple of guys helping him who all picked up swords and were fighting these things. And you know what? That's that didn't go well. Yeah, not everybody uh, survives this fight. No. Jason and Medea, though, do jump off a cliff quite dramatically, with skeletons chasing them into the briny abyss. Yeah, one thing they found skeletons can't do is swim. Are you suggesting that there's not going to be any skeletons doing the dives at the reopened Casa Bonita here in Colorado? <laughs> that would be cool. It would be. And that's... That's kind of where the movie ends. Yeah, that's the wildest thing. Like, this giant fight happens, and then it's, well, the gods aren't done with you yet, Jason. Time to go back. It ends with him, the the remaining, the surviving Argonauts fish Jason and Medea out of the sea. They've got the Golden Fleece, presumably. They're going to head home. You kind of expect the black screen with, you know, Jason and the remaining Argonauts will return. <laughs> it's like, oh... Well, that, that very clearly brings up another of our, our, our final questions. Absolutely. And I guess the first one is screen or no screen, it being a movie. <laughs> I love this story. But interestingly enough, I love it from the other versions I've heard. And this is not the greatest version of Jason and the Argonauts I've seen, but it's really fun. I've, 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 I've enjoyed kind of diving into Greek mythology and such. Um... There's a book series I'd like to suggest, uh, which is Mythos by Stephen Fry. And he does Mythos, Heroes, and then Troy. And it's a summary of all of it. And I love those books. Those are excellent pieces. I'll put a link to those in the, the show notes. And by the way, if I put links to books or videos or things, they might be affiliate links that uh, help out the podcast if you follow them. Exactly. just want to make sure that's clear, though. But So it's like, in terms of the depth that this story could have had story-wise... It's not quite there, but in terms of a fun action movie, this is a screen for me. Not because I'm suggesting it as a Jason and the Argonauts, but because I'm suggesting it as one of the best sword and sandal kind of movies you can see. And that's a distinction I want to make. Yeah, I agree. It is it is definitely a screen for me. It now that we I've I've watched most all of the stuff Ray Harryhausen did in the last few years. I don't think it's like my very favorite Ray Harryhausen movie anymore, but I agree with you that comparing it to other tellings of the story of Jason and the Argonauts, this is not one of the best. As a movie in its own right, and is it enjoyable and engaging to watch? Absolutely is. Oh, I yeah. say screen. This is a this is a screen. 
this is also falls under that like if you've you can just put it on in the background muted for the tone it's got a fun styling going on it's it's got the right thing going in college i took a a class in an arthurian literature and you know in addition to reading white and mallory and and uh spencer and, and all the people you would expect we also watched monty python and the holy grail and talked about it in that context as a telling of the arthurian stories that kind of came back to mind when i was watching this it's it's very different it's a modern take it's but it's interesting to see it in that context of thousands of years of telling and retelling the same story one of the retellings happens to be a, a eastman to color feature film from 1963 exactly and that brings us to the the next question that you alluded to earlier and that is revive reboot or rest in peace <sighs> you see revive would be doing the trip back and there's a lot of interesting stuff in the original story of jason and the argonauts i can't quite see this version of jason uh having the fate of jason in the story no i'm not sure that i could now i keep thinking I don't want them to make a sequel to this feature film today yeah. in 2023, but I wish they had done that in 1965, Oh, that yeah. they had made you know, Jason and the Argonauts, Volume 2, or Jason and the Argonauts, The Voyage Home, just because there's so much more they could do. And you're, just, you're leaving us with, yeah, they get back on the boat, we trust them to get home. But meanwhile, they've got the, the trip home, they've got the fact that he now needs to kill Polias, he needs to do something with this fleece. Are people going to accept uh, uh, doesn't he? Medea? Doesn't he still have two Harrow wishes? Does he? I thought he used them up at some point. He might have. I don't remember. At some point, I stopped counting. Yeah, I thought he still had two. <laughs> I thought he still had two left. It's like, oh, you've got two for the way back. That's actually, you kind of yeah. saved some. And this is what happened whenever I tried to put these line of, kind of limitations in when I was acting as a GM. And I put this kind of thing in place. I didn't keep track. And, yeah, I think you've got a couple left fine. Oh, yeah. Call divine intervention. Exactly. But I, my, my final decision is probably actually going to be reboot. Because... Loving the story and this showing that the Jason and the Argonauts story can work on screen means if they were to do a modern Jason and the Argonauts, this tells me you can play with the story to make it what you need on screen and it still will have the right feel. But I'm also like, ooh, give me Ryan Johnson doing a story of a bunch of the grandest guys on a boat clashing personalities on a trip to get get this one guy his thing and they all fought to get their spot here you could have a lot of fun with modern character storytelling like that I'm i like, think you Ooh. could that's that's a great choice of a director i'd be interested in that kind of thing i'd probably say reboot as well because i don't want them to try to make a sequel to this 1963 movie today yeah and i'm not going to say rest in peace because it's not like I don't want anybody to retell the story of Jason and the Argonauts ever again. So that leaves us with, with reboot. I do so with a little trepidation, though, because, because modern filmmaking and modern special effects, as good as they can look, they sometimes drain something out 
of what was special about the way Ray Harryhausen did things. We've talked about the fact that the way stop motion looks on film and the way it, it has this, the way he made it interact with the naturalistic world and yet not look natural, all of that was part of the magic. And if you just fill it with super smooth CGI and have the monsters facing off with half CGI'd heroes, a, a modern remake of a Ray Harryhausen-style Swords and Sandals and Sorcery Adventure doesn't necessarily captivate in the same way. Yeah. Oh, and stay tuned for the rest of Harryhausen Month, by the way. Oh! <laughs> oh! <laughs> oh, goodness, oh! But I, I say reboot. Have yeah. somebody tell the story of Jason and the Argonauts, maybe without special effects, maybe without trying to be a movie like Ray Harry has it, or maybe have Ryan Johnson hire somebody who can do uh stop motion animation in the year 2023. Yeah. There's, there's groups out there trying and doing more with that. I could see having a wonderful time with, you know, a stop motion team doing those effects and kind of making it a love letter back, but with modern storytelling, that could be fun. That could be fun. So one way or another, yeah, give us a reboot. Tell the story again. It's a cool story. Fun characters. Have somebody big and fun play Hercules again. Oh, yeah. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> ooh, I'm going to be questioning who I want to cast for that. Nick Offerman. I was going to say Dave Batista. Either one works. Either one works, yeah. 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 Yeah? <laughs> so... Well, this was fun. This for, for the longest time, this had been my favorite Ray Harryhausen movie, and it's still way up there. This, this is definitely a good the skeletons. one. Oh, the skeletons are fun. Skeletons are... They do a lot for this movie. <laughs> Movie's got some good bones to it. <laughs> and we appreciate everybody listening and downloading this, and, and uh, we will be back in a couple of weeks with more tales of media from the 20th century. In the meantime, Dad, where can... Uh, our listeners and their intrepid group of sailors find you in the far distant lands. Uh, you can find me at bymatthewporter.com and there you will find links to everything else I'm doing. You'll find links to my now page, which will tell you what I'm up to, where I'm going to be going. Uh, you will find a link to my YouTube page where I review movies from the Alamo draft house in the uh, draft house diary and where I recently finally uploaded my video tour guide and review of the Roswell UFO Festival, where I uh, went in 2022. Mm -hmm. And Ian, where can people find you? I can be found most places as item crafting, such as itemcrafting.com and itemcrafting on, on uh, YouTube and itemcrafting live on Twitch. And for all things IMMP, you can go to immproject.com. That's where you'll find more of the podcast, including all of our back episodes, all of our previous Ray Harryhausen months. Uh, you'll also find our Discord and our Patreon if you want to help support the podcast and get even more extra content. You'll find our shop, and you will find our contact page. If you want to reach out to us, you can reach out to us there uh, on the contact page, or you can send honest-to-goodness physical mail to Intermillennium Media Project at P.O. Box 271167, Littleton, Colorado, 80. One two seven, And if you do send a message to us in any way, just let us know if it's okay to read it on the podcast. But more important than any of that, thank you for joining us, and we hope you'll be back. In the meantime, go find something new to watch. <laughs>